This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson som läser så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody to yes. an early episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I know we usually put our episodes on Sundays. Brian's going on vacation, so good luck to all of you who needed an early fix, because episode 23 is coming at you right now. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Calm. And normally around this time, I would awkwardly talk about speculation and prognostication, but Elon, if, if we can just jump right into things with only, you know, three weeks left in the season, two in some leagues, there isn't really time for either one of those things anymore. And I think on today's episode, it's a lot more about knowing what's happening right now as opposed to guessing what's going to happen far into the future, unless you're in a keeper league. Your future is now. It's like a vocational college ad. Uh, Okay, well, we're not going to talk about keepers today because headline number one is it's fantasy playoff time, okay? Most of our listeners are in the playoffs. I guess some are not. So we'll bring up maybe things they could do along the way to help if you're not in the playoffs. But probably most people listening to Keeping Carlson, let's be real here, they're in the playoffs because they pay attention. And any real pulley, if you're not in the playoffs, you're watching for next year. There you go. So Real pulleys only. <laughs> so now that the playoffs have started, Brian, you're saying now it's time not to speculate and prognosticate and to actually just pay attention to what's going on now. How do you translate that into real strategy to help you win playoff matchups? You just need to stay right on top of things. You need to know if a player has gone cold for a week or is streaking for a week, and you shouldn't be worried anymore about whether it's going to carry on for six more weeks or eight more weeks. It's all about current performance, and I think the easy way to get to the bottom of that is to look at a player's career. Obviously, players who have been in the league longer are easier to judge, and so really, it's a lot of just looking back and seeing what's happened in the past and expecting that nothing terribly different is going to happen in the future. Okay, let's come up with a concrete example. Let's take a player like, say, Derek Broussard on the New York Rangers, okay? He was scoreless in eight straight games, I'm sure... Most people who listened that had him had dropped him already. Now, his last game, he got two goals and an assist playing against Ottawa. He's on a brand spanking new line along with Martin St. Louis. Is he someone that you should pick up right now? And I know normally if this had been earlier in the season, it's the kind of thing where I'd put him on my watch list and say, let's see how he does over the next couple of games. But do you need to jump on someone like this? Okay, well, I'd look at Brissard's numbers with the New York Rangers. He's got 50 points in 82 games, which isn't incredible, and that's over the last two years. But if it's a better points per game pace than somebody on your lineup that you're considering dropping, I would do it. 
And obviously, you're also looking at his new line combination, I'd imagine. A little bit. I, it's so hard to tell if lines are going to stick, especially I, I feel, and I don't know if this is substantiated by any evidence, but that a lot of teams are shuffling their lines a little more than usual lately, maybe making trial runs of different combinations for when the playoffs come or resting certain players or trying other players in different roles. I wouldn't read too much into them. There's a couple others that we'll get to later in the show. It's a good thing right now for Broussard, but I wouldn't use it as the basis for my decision at this point of the year. All right. And on the other side, I'd want to bring up an example of a player who's normally really good, but is struggling right now. I'm actually having trouble though, Brian, finding someone. Like, Are there any star players you could think of who are struggling right now? You know, none that I can think of offhand, and maybe our listeners will be able to tweet at us or email us and let us know if someone on their lineup, because no one on my lineup that's supposed to be producing isn't, and this is one of the first times all year. And I feel like now it's weird to apply this to a single week, and that's not what I'm trying to do. But I am saying if you look at a player's numbers at this point of the year, they're generally reflective of their ability. So even if they are slumping, You've got the real picture. You've got a a full season's worth of sample to see what a player is worth, and you're not going to make a rash decision on, say, Claude Giroux two months into the season who was having a terrible time scoring and now is at a point-per-game pace for the entire season. All right, though, here, I thought of a player, Brian. How about Mike Green, okay? Star defenseman on the Washington Capitals. I'm sure he was drafted in most leagues and not dropped. Now going to the playoffs, though, he has only one goal in his last eight games. If you have someone like Mike Green on your lineup, what do you do at this point? The trade deadline's passed. Do you drop him and try to pick someone up who's hot, or do you hang on to him because of his pedigree? Again, I don't feel like your philosophy changes much with him because you've seen the same thing from him all season. He's gone hot, he's gone cold, and in fact, for the last several seasons. And this season, I think one of the more important things that's happened to him happened already like a month or two ago when John Carlson started seeing significant time in his spot on the power play and he was no longer the uncontested player on the point with Ovechkin with the man advantage. And again, if you look at his numbers for the whole year, he has 6 points in 11 games in March, 11 points in 14 games in January, 7 points in 13 games in December. He's sort of hot and cold alternating months. And I feel like, sure, he might not have a lot in his last eight games in terms of goals, but it will balance out the way he tends to score this season, and that seems to be about a half a point per game. And so, no, I would not drop him because of two weeks of slumping unless I'm super desperate and there's a really great option available because we know what to expect and everything will regress or progress to the mean. At least that's my fantasy hockey philosophy. All right, so here's another question related to fantasy playoff strategy and that's this whole idea of dropping and picking up players based on their schedule over the next few days so for example you and i both have travis zajac now you mentioned you picked him up last week i since then have picked him up new jersey plays a bunch of games this week including saturday and sunday but after that they're not going to play again until next thursday so at that point for someone who has the acquisitions is it worth it to drop zajac sunday night after the games and pick up someone who's maybe playing once or twice between monday and thursday then maybe try to get zajac back or let him go if you're going to drop someone you shouldn't expect to get them back and that's the way it goes this time of year and it's not worth losing a player over one game of production that you might have preferred over another player who's playing more often. But it is important to take into account how many games each player is playing. And a tool that I've used to do this, and I think you have your own, but I'll tell you mine first. DauberHockey.com has a columnist named Bob Fisher who looks ahead every week. It's posted on Fridays. 
And he mentions teams on whom you might want to target players based on strength of schedule and number of games played and teams with players that you'd like to avoid based on the same criteria. So he has suggestions, and of course, they're dependent on which day of the week your fantasy week begins and ends. One recommendation he has is the San Jose Sharks. They're playing Washington, Edmonton, and Colorado, Edmonton twice, and he mentions the reasons in terms of the team defense, that they're bad, and their penalty kill, and he also suggests maybe consider the National Predators, be wary of the Washington Capitals and avoid the Winnipeg Jets. And of course, he goes into his reasons for all of them. I found this helpful over the course of my week to make those sort of hairline decisions. And I think, Elon, I've sent it to you too. But you have also used one other tool, haven't you? Well, yeah, I really like the tools, actually. There's a couple of them over at Left Wing Lock. So there's one where you could just see weekly schedule for a week starting on Monday to Sunday, which is, I think, the standard for most pools. And you can just sort of see for every team who they're playing and how many games they're playing in total in a very quick, easy-to-grab way. They also have something called a roster maximizer where you could give two dates, a start date and an end date, and then see the number of games each team is playing, which is very useful for someone like me since I'm in two-week matchups. So I don't only want to look at players who are playing next week. I want to see who's going to be playing a lot during a matchup. And yeah, when you say that uh, you should be avoiding the Winnipeg Jets, that makes me sad because I have Enstrom and Patrick Kane and I need them both to produce for me. And obviously, looking at the schedules doesn't help you for the players that you can't drop. Unfortunately, they are about to go on that dreaded California trip through San Jose, LA, and Anaheim, and you can never count on a whole lot of offense or wins or positive plus minus, especially when Eastern teams, or in the Jets' case, borderline Eastern teams, head over there. Okay, so hopefully you found those tips helpful. Let's move on to our second headline, injuries. Every week we've got injuries to report. It's sad, all these people getting hurt. But yeah, a couple big ones from last week, including probably the biggest name, Patrick Kane, out for the season. That is brutal for anyone who owns him, including someone on this podcast that's thankfully not me. Yeah, it makes my reluctant acquisition of Jason Pominville at the deadline so much more important, and I'm glad I did it. Kane is my keeper, though, so I gotta wait until he goes on day-to-day or IR, and I think that might have just recently happened, and I'm out of roster moves. This is, or I have five left. This is my third season-ending injury since my league's trade deadline, Shifley, Parento, and now Patrick Kane. I'm sure all those owners are pretty upset, but if you've been doing all right for the last three weeks, then I think you can do all right without Patrick Kane. Before getting injured, he had just two goals in his last 11 games and had decent shot on goal totals, but not at the same peak level that he was running it multiple times during the year. So it's not a reason to get too upset. I mean, of course, it sucks, and he could have been the one to make the difference between winning a playoff round or not. But if you've been making it without him over the last few weeks, don't panic too much. Try and stay rational and and make a very careful but effective pickup. And we'll get into who some of those might be later in the show. Yeah, for sure. But of course, whenever a big-name player like this gets injured, especially when he plays for a high-powered team like the Chicago Blackhawks, you always want to look at how that's going to affect other players on the team. Who's going to potentially take his spot? Well, over the last three games, he's been playing mostly with Ben Smith and Brian Bickle, who have not seen a lot of production as a result of playing with Patrick Kane, and almost certainly aren't going to see a whole lot more without him. Patrick Kane kind of is his line at the moment. I mean, he did spend time earlier in the year with Patrick Sharp and Michael Hanzus, 
who, well, Jesus, you can't expect a lot of out of generally. Sharp, you can expect production from with or without Patrick Kane. I don't think his absence is going to impact many of his teammates. And yeah, it looks like even on the power play, not that much changes. Marion Hossa was injured. So now that he's back, he sort of just gets slotted back into the first power play line. And Andrew Shaw looks like someone who you wouldn't expect to be there, but he's actually been on the top power play with... Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and Patrick Sharp a lot over the past five games or so. So yeah, I guess pretty much on Chicago, everything stays pretty much the same. It doesn't look like there's anyone who needs to be pounced on now that Patrick Kane is injured. Though actually, that does bring up the point. Andrew Shaw, I haven't even really been paying attention to him, but now that I see that he's playing on the first power play, I just went to go look at his stats. This guy's got four goals and three assists in his last seven games. So he might actually be someone that you should be looking at targeting. He's a point-per-game pace for a while now. Well, a couple weeks. We've talked about him a few times this season. There have been times where he's gone really cold, and I think people pay more attention to the crest on his sweater, which is what he's supposed to do. But in fantasy, we do care just as much about the name on the back. But as you said, he is putting up points right now and doesn't make a terrible pickup. Again, though, only 33 points in 68 games on the season. Last season, he had 15 points in 48 Neither of those are very impressive, and don't pay too much attention to what's going on right now. Keep the bigger picture in mind. All right, so that's the Blackhawks. Another big injury affected my team, so Brian and I both had a big one this week. Mine stung especially hard because I traded a draft pick in order to obtain this player right at the trade deadline, and now he's gone for the year. Cam Fowler of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Such a blow to me, obviously such a blow to the Anaheim Mighty Ducks hockey team, but we don't care about them. (laughs) Now that Fowler's gone, who takes his spot as sort of like the number one power play point man for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks? Well, your answer is Hampus Lindholm, who might have been acquired in a few of your leagues already because he, he did go on a couple short scoring streaks earlier this year. And lately, he's not doing so bad. He has four assists in his last three games, including one game where he had five shots on goal. Generally, though, he's a one or two, sometimes three shot on goal guy. Very few peripheral numbers, like no blocks or one block in most games, no hits or one hit in most games, not a whole lot of penalty minutes, sort of even plus minus. He's not a stud pickup, but he could be a good sleeper, maybe a jobber for someone who's going to put you over playing on the top unit power play in Anaheim is a pretty good place to be. Mm -hmm. Well, in three games that he played before Fowler got injured, he played 18 minutes, 14 minutes, and 16 minutes approximately. In the last two games since Fowler's been injured, he's played 24 and 20. So it looks like he's going to be getting more playing time and, of course, more power play time. So I definitely think he's a great pickup. Obviously, it depends who else is in the free agent pool. He's not available in my league. I wish he was. Let's move on now to talk about some players who have been catching our eyes over the past few weeks. People who are either leading you to the promised land or holding you back. Brian, I see you have a couple people you wanted to bring up. Yeah, let's start with Evander Kane. I think there's been a lot of hand-wringing about him over the course of the season with his scratches. You know, like, was he healthy? Was he not? And with his injuries that we all knew about... And he has been sort of streaky, but I think it's safe to say, like, if he's available in your league, which is really unlikely, but I feel like some people might have been impatient with him or might own him in a keeper league and might still be open to giving him away. It's safe. It's safe to go after Evander Kane now. He's on a small three-game point streak and has six points in his last 10, which isn't a whole lot. 
uh, two goals and four assists in that span. But his stock may never again be this low. If you own him, you should stay patient. And if you don't, try and make a play for him one way or another. He's a really good hockey player who's gotten a bad rap this year. And like I said before, I don't think you'll have such a fantastic window to get him on your team as you do right now. Yeah, well, he's on my team and I'm definitely happy to have him back. He was injured for a while, but yeah, he's definitely a core piece. I would be very distraught if he were to get injured again. I need him to give me especially the shots on goal. That's one of the big reasons I picked him early in my pool is not only is he supposed to one day develop into someone who's going to get me a lot of points, but even now, like last season, he was one of the top in the league for shots on goal. So if that's a stat you care about, that's another great thing he's bringing. Next, I'm going to talk about a couple goalies who are performing a lot differently. Well, one than was expected and one than they have all year. So let's talk about the one who has deviated from their performance this year. His name is Ben Bishop. You might have heard of him before. Vesna candidate or maybe former Vesna candidate with his last stretch. The bright side is that he's won five starts in a row. But the reality of it is that four of those are no thanks to him or maybe Tampa's defense, which is looking more porous than usual. Whether that's their own doing or Ben Bishop's, it's hard to tell because Tampa's 10-game rolling Fenwick numbers, which give an indication of possession numbers using only the most recent 10 games for data, they show nothing wildly out of the ordinary. And so I'm not sure how exactly Bishop's recent numbers can be explained. These numbers, in eight of his last 11 starts, he's put up a save percentage under 907. Contrast that with 31 starts, 31 starts over a three-month period from November to January, when he only posted numbers that low five times in 31 starts. Whoa. Thanks, that is worth a big response. He's routinely giving up three or four goals a game, and I don't know what's going on. Maybe this is a bit of a lesson. To me, I got really swept up and really wanted him as a trade deadline target, but it it is hard and maybe a little reckless to judge a goalie based on as small a sample size as Ben Bishop. It's easier to say that in retrospect, right? Oh, we told you he was going to fail and we didn't. We didn't know everything looked so great. And I don't know what this means for Ben Bishop owners. I wouldn't drop him. But in the short term, he's definitely not necessarily worth getting an automatic start if he's on your roster. You might want to keep him on your bench until he can string a couple good games together again, which might be his next couple games. It's just so hard to say. But proceed with caution if you have Ben Bishop in your lineup and you need those goalie categories. It's funny. You wanted Bishop so badly. You didn't get him. Who you did get was Steve Mason, who you were complaining about so much. And I remember saying, "Eh, maybe he'll be good. And I don't know. Like, he's won three games in a row. One of them was a shutout. Philly's last game against Dallas, he got the win with a 943 save percentage. So at this point, maybe uh, you turned out all right. Well, I also wanted Jimmy Howard more than Steve Mason and Jonathan Bernier more than Steve Mason. And those two in Bishop have all done worse than Mason since about the time I acquired him. My beef with Steve Mason still stands, and that's his inconsistency. But I guess in the long run, I didn't make out too badly, or I should say in the short run. I don't know what will happen over the next three weeks, but I am more satisfied than I thought I would be with the trade. Another goalie I considered targeting was Craig Anderson, who has also been injured lately. So Robin Leonard has been seeing time in the Senators' net. Oh, boy. And he is also destroying fantasy rosters everywhere. He's given up at least five goals in four of his last five starts. I'm going to say that again, because when I say it that quickly, you might not think too hard about it. He's given up at least, at least five (laughs) goals in four of his last five starts. 
Now, this is definitely a team thing. The Sens' defense has so many problems you can't even count them, and it shows in their underlying numbers. But Laner, the heir apparent for Ottawa's starting goalie position and a blue-chip fantasy prospect up until this point, he's looked plain bad. He was looking the wrong way on a couple goals against Montreal in that huge collapse last week, and he's now lost five starts in a row, and he's barely come close to stopping 90% of the shots that have come his way in that span. He's getting lit up, And you should adjust your short-term expectations accordingly. Don't give up on him if you're in a keeper league. But if you got all excited because Anderson's out and you're just throwing Leonard in based on his name and what you expect from him, sit back like you would with Ben Bishop and think a little harder before you put him in net. It's probably too late for this week, but consider it for next week if he's still serving as the number one goalie while Anderson is out. Yeah, so you mentioned that the Ottawa defense has been pretty bad. I will say there is one exception, at least offensively, and that is Carlson. Carlson. No, 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 Carlson. You know, he doesn't get enough praise, I don't think. He's running away with the defensive scoring race, and I think he's also, like, just outside the top 20 in league scoring, which is fantastic. 64 points in 69 games with 221 shots on goal. Fantasy gold. I love keeping Carlson, both the action and the podcast. Uh, yeah, hey, seven points in his last five games. You can't complain. I'm happy to have him on my roster. But yeah, it'd be nice if the Sens could do a bit better overall as a former Ottawanian, 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 I don't know, whatever you call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move from Ottawanians, or whatever you call it, to Swedes, because we just talked about Laner and then Carlson. Let's finish the trifecta with Gustav Nyquist. Oh, man. I saw you tweeting about him. You're so excited. Yeah, I hope you got him when you could, because he is almost definitely off the table as a free agent in most leagues by now, thanks to an incredible 15 goals and 12 assists in his last 21 games played. That's 27 points total in 21 games. He's officially a 20-goal scorer and up to 36 points in 44 games on the season which is really something considering his earlier inconsistencies that made me yeah that made me drop him oh. and then not take him when he was available i can only hope you're not suffering the same trauma especially because my closest competition right now is benefiting so much from Nyquist and I might have handed him the championship. I feel like it could be the difference with the way Nyquist is playing. Well, okay, but okay, 27 points in 21 games, as you say, that's pretty bananas. And I wonder, is that sustainable? Like, is he benefiting from luck or something? Like, how is he getting so many points? That's a good question, Elon. And his PDO is quite high. And, and for newer listeners, or if you forget, PDO is a measure of how, quote-unquote, lucky a player is getting based on whether their team's shooting percentages and save percentages are higher than the league average when they are on the ice at even strength. And right now, the Red Wings' shooting percentage, while Gustav Nyquist is on the ice, is up to 10.1, which is mm, 2 to 3 percentage points higher than it should be on league average. And that's a big deal. It might not sound like a lot, but it's a big deal. Same with save percentage, although that doesn't count a whole lot for scoring. Of course, if your goalie's making more stops on your own end, you're going to have more offensive opportunity and probably a better plus-minus, too. So I think you might expect Nyquist's numbers to drop slightly, but again, I feel like he's been doing this over 21 games now. 27 points in a 21-game period is pretty good. It's unlikely that he'll just go missing after that, but as I mentioned earlier, he has shown a 
a small tendency to be inconsistent, although that came mostly in his first games in the NHL. I would happily have him on my team. I would pick him up in a heartbeat. I would use one of my five remaining roster moves to do it today and risk him getting injured. I'm really high on him right now. Well, yeah, there's no reason not to be, but okay. He's got four goals and one assist in his last three games. His three previous games before that, he had no points. So up and down. Maybe I'm just saying this to myself so I don't feel as bad that I didn't pick him up like I could have, just like you could have. Yeah, and another guy who shares some similarities with Nyquist in that he was inconsistent at the start of the season and I picked him up and dropped him like several times is Mikhail Granlund. He's another guy who's making up for all those false starts in the first half of the season. Now that he's got a bit of NHL experience under his belt, he seems to be doing a lot better. He has three goals and seven assists for 10 points in his last 11 games, including three power play assists in that span. He's taken Miko Koivu's spot on the top line in Minnesota, as I think the coach Mike Yeo is trying to balance things a little bit better. And he is doing wonderful things with line mates Jason Pominville and Zach Parise. He's also regularly putting two or three shots on goal every game, which wasn't the case earlier this year, even when he was producing in short stretches. So pat yourself on the back if you've got him going into the playoffs or on your roster in a keeper league. And he's only 12% owned in Yahoo. So there's a fair chance if you've got a roster spot that's not paying its dividends, you might be able to put Groundland in that spot instead. Yeah, I would definitely take him if he was available in my league. But sadly, he is not. Someone who is available, though, on his team is Jared Spurgeon on defense. And Spurgeon just got two assists in his last game and a goal the game before. So maybe the smallest of possible hot streaks. He does play like 25 plus minutes a game on most nights. Do you think he's someone that people should be looking at as a good defenseman ad for the end of the fantasy hockey season? It's been a long time since we talked about him, and I guess that speaks to his production. Over the season, he has four goals and 17 assists for 21 points in 56 games. He's a plus 10 with 81 shots on goal. He gets, uh, you know, a hit in a block and a half per game, which is nothing to be really excited about. And I think he was in our conversations earlier as maybe a replacement for Jonas Brodeen when we were really high on him at the beginning of the season. I don't see huge things coming from Jared Spurgeon. Maybe a little bit of increased opportunity, like you said, but a multi-point game and a single point before that, I feel like is all you're going on here when in the previous eight games, he had two goals and nothing else. Yeah, well, you know, Defense is hard to come by this late, and like with Cam Fowler injured, I had to pick someone. I ended up actually going with Alec Martinez from L.A., who I hadn't even heard of a week ago, but we talked about him on the podcast, and I saw how he was streaking, and I thought I would grab him. Definitely not a long-term thing. Now I'm wondering if I should keep him or maybe drop him for Spurgeon, but yeah, this is like the caliber of defense that I have to look for to replace my awesome Cam Fowler. I'd hang on to Martinez for now. Okay, now let's move. I guess we already started talking about players who are not highly owned, people who you might want to target now that the playoffs have started. I've got a few in mind. Maybe I'll throw a couple out. Brian, you could give me a couple of yours. One person who jumped onto my radar after a great game yesterday is Corey Conacher of the Buffalo Sabres. He got two goals and an assist, five shots on goal. He hasn't done too much overall, only two other points since he joined the Sabres, but he's playing on the top line and playing on the power play. Brian, what do you think about Corey Conacher and if he'll be able to improve his overall stats? Elon, do you remember who he was playing against last night with that three-point game? Edmonton? Yeah. Okay, so enough said? I feel like it. Okay. (laughs) He's definitely getting a better opportunity than he was in Ottawa. Like you said, he's on the top line in Buffalo, which is what it is in and of itself. As a depth pickup, you could do a lot worse. 
course, in a really deep league. But for now, I think he's still free agent fodder. Okay. All right. Well, I'll throw out my next one to you. These are these are deep picks I'm throwing at you, okay, Brian? So I'm not expecting them all to stick. I noticed that on Tampa Bay, Sammy Sallow is playing on the first power play unit, and Victor Hedman is on the second unit. And Hedman was so hot for so long, I hadn't even noticed until just recently, since I've been looking for defense, Sammy Sallow's getting good minutes. He's on the top power play line. Is he someone who could improve? going into the end of the season. Continuing with the theme that what we've seen all season is likely what we're going to get for the rest of it, Sammy Salo has 16 points in 61 games this year, which is actually worse than last year where he had 17 points in 46 games. It's hard to not improve on that, and he managed to not improve on that. Barely a shot a game, no peripheral numbers that are anywhere relevant. Yes, he has Three points, all assists in his last two games, including two power play assists against... Ottawa? Ottawa, which is worth about as much as points against Edmonton right now. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, I I won't read too much into that. Good guy to keep an eye on, always a good guy to keep an eye on, but I feel like his fantasy-relevant days have pretty much been over uh, since about three years ago, four years ago. Maybe five years ago. Okay, all right, all right. One more. Okay, this one is good. He's on both of our teams, so you can't hate him too much. I wanted to mention that Tyson Barry has been moved to forward, at least for the short term. He played on the left wing of Colorado's third line in their last game with Max Talbot and Cody McLeod. He's still on the second power play. Is that a good thing when you have a defenseman who now is moved to a third line? On their team, should we expect more points from him? He was already doing pretty well on defense. Do you have any insight as to whether this is going to stick or if this was just like a short-term experiment? Well, for Colorado's last game, they sat Paul Stastny, so I was assuming they were doing it just because they had this open forward spot. But Stastny is back playing tonight. This is Friday when we're recording. And Tyson Barry is still slotted, according to Daily Faceoff, to be playing on the left wing of that third line. Stastny's going to be centering the second line with Landis Gog and McKinnon. So I'm not sure. I guess maybe it's an experiment that might continue if he does well and if Colorado could keep winning. Too early to say, I think, if that's going to help him a whole lot. I mean, the obvious example that we all think of is Brent Burns, but he went from defense to the first line. And Dustin Bufflin has seen a little bit of time at forward for the Winnipeg Jets this year and has been fairly productive, but I'm also not sure that he was as low on the depth chart as the third line in that scenario either. And Bufflin was being productive as a defenseman also. He was getting so many points. I don't even know if he's improved that much, if any. But bringing it back to Tyson Barry, it's too soon to say he's barely spent any time there, but I can still make a hearty general recommendation for him, especially because he was struggling a lot at the beginning of the year. He was drafted in a lot of leagues and dropped in almost all of them. After the first three months of the season, he was scratched so many times and had just eight points in 25 games. Since the start of 2014, he's got 22 points in 28 games. That's seven goals and 15 assists, handful of them on the power play, putting shots on net. I think if you're looking for defensive help, he might be the top free agent available for you right now. Yeah, if he is available. Okay, so Brian, how about you? Do you have any low percentage owned people who you think should be on people's watch lists or added? 
Well, here's a guy whose percentage owned jumped in the last day, so it might be too late for you. But just in case, if Andrej Palat is available in your league, you should get him. He's tied with Tyler Sagan for third in NHL scoring since January 1st. Holy cow. And he's put up 11 points in his last seven games. That's four goals and seven assists. He and Valtteri Filppula are doing this with barely anyone noticing because I think they're in Tampa Bay. So you should be the one who notices if you haven't already. And it's worth noting that Ryan Callahan is the third guy on that line. And he's not doing so badly himself with five points in his first eight games with the team. It seems like those three as a unit are all a good bet. I imagine at least two of them are already gone. Try and get the third if you can. And also maybe since we're talking about Tampa Bay, let's just mention Steven Stamkos is definitely back. He went three games without any points after his injury, but since then he's got five goals in five games, two assists. So no worries for Steven Stamkos owners. Man, seems like there's a lot of really good people to own on Tampa Bay right now. Another low-owned player, only 6% in Yahoo right now, and another guy who has probably owned quite a bit more, like Barry, at the beginning of the year, is Alex Chason, who's been moved to the top line in Dallas. Although, it's happened before, and he didn't do a whole lot with it, so don't get too excited. But he does have 30 points in 66 games this year, still marginal value in most leagues, but he could be a sneaky pickup if he clicks quickly enough with Ben and Sagan to stick on that top line in Dallas. The loser in this is Valerie Nichushkin, who has been demoted to the third and fourth line, seeing under 10 minutes of ice time a couple nights in a row. Don't get too down if you've got him. I wouldn't swap Nichushkin out for Chason just yet, if that's an option you have. But I would definitely put Chason on your watch list for now. I mean, there is probably a little bit of reason for concern if you have Nichushkin He's got one point in his last 10 games. And did he get injured or something? I don't know. But in his last game, he played only eight minutes total against Philadelphia. Yeah, that's the demotion I'm talking about. That's never a good sign when you're wondering if a guy got injured mid-game because of his ice time. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I'm going to disagree with Brian just looking at the stats quickly. And I know Brian's the expert, but I think if I had Nishushkin and the best available was Alex Chason, I think I would make the swap at this point. It's too late. You're in the playoffs. You don't have time to wait for him to get back on the top line. Valid point. I'm interested to see who does better over the rest of the season. They might both be irrelevant based on what they've done so far this year. So yeah, interesting to keep an eye on. Do you want to move on to the last part of the show, Elon? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Brian, that's my job. I'm the host here. Sorry. Because I was going to mention as part of my hostly duties, if you have an opinion on who you think would be better to add, Alex Chason or Valerie Nishkushkin, I'm probably really mispronouncing his name. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. We love to have conversations with our listeners. But all right, Brian, let's close out the show. Give us our jobbers of the week, the people who you should pick up if you just need someone to give you a little bit of a push to get you over. I'm going to start with someone I honestly had not really heard of until this week. And his name is actually I have to double check his first name because I only wrote his last name. <laughs> yes, it is Paul. The incredibly boring first name and last name of Paul Byron, made even more boring by the fact he plays for Calgary, but his numbers are not so boring. He has seven points in his last 10 games, two goals and four assists, but only 12 shots on goal in that span, including goose eggs in the shots on goal category three times, which is a bit of a red flag on my books. But he is on the top line in Calgary, which, like Buffalo, isn't always worth something, but Mike Camillari and Mikhail Backlund, his line mates, are both streaking and taking Byron along for the ride. His possession numbers have been generally sound, likely because of his line mates, and things seem to be working out for now. 
he could get those two or three points that'll put you over in your matchup over the next week or two. Hmm, well, now that you mentioned Paul Bryan, I've got to ask you, another player on that line is available in my league, Michael Backlund. Do you think he's someone who you would rather have than Byron if you had to take one of the two right now? Yeah, I would definitely take Backlund. He seems to be the one that's driving the offense, whereas Byron might be more in a passenger seat role. I think if you took one of those guys off the line, Backlund would be the one who continues to produce. And he's been pretty good over his last five games. He has six points. He scored in four of those last five, but he's been doing this all year, producing in short spurts. I don't know if he can do it all the way to the end of the year, but yes, I would rather have Mikhail Backlund than Paul Byron based on name value alone. Okay, well, Calgary plays four times next week, so Mikhail Backlund and Paul Byron both might potentially get you some points if you want to try them out. And I'm going to go with another boring name for my other jobber this week. His name is Chris Kelly. You might be familiar with him. He plays center on the third line on the Boston Bruins, which is really not a great place to produce offensively for anyone. But he is clicking on a line with previous jobber and successful prognostication at that, Carl Soderberg and Louis Erickson, all of whom are right now in their most productive stretches of the season. Chris Kelly has a modest five points in his last nine games, and that actually accounts for a third of his entire production this season to date. So don't get too excited about it. But like Byron, if his line mates keep scoring, he's due to pick up a few points along the way. Yeah, I think we've talked about that line a lot in the history of the show because you were talking about Erickson so much since you kept him as one of your keepers going into the season. And then, yeah, we've talked about Soderberg as a jobber. And now, finally, Chris Kelly gets his due. So we'll see how he does over the next couple of weeks. Brian, great show. Hopefully we've provided some good advice to our listeners. We'd love to hear from you in order to know if we're giving actual advice that you're using and if you're finding it helpful, if you have any criticisms. We're trying to make this show as good as we can and feedback would be highly appreciated. So you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Also, just follow us on Twitter. We're tweeting all the time. You could email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Check out our website, keepingcarlson.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Keeping Carlson. What else are we on? We're on uh, Stitcher Radio. You could find us there. You could find us. Give us a five-star review also on iTunes. That would be nice, if you don't mind. It helps us get noticed. Enough of this jibber-jabber. Let's cue that outro music, and please read us the credits. Okay, thank you to all the resources we used to research this week's show, including Extra Skater, Left Wing Lock, Behind the Net, Dauber Hockey, Daily Faceoff, Rotowire, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Well done, as always. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back to recording at our regularly scheduled time next week. So... In the meantime, good luck to everyone in your playoff matchups, and I hope you're still alive and kicking for the next episode. Keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs> nice. Bye.